Flint Hill Baptist Church exists to glorify God by gathering, growing, giving, and going in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Find out more at flinthill.net. Man, it is a, it's just a great day to be in the house of the Lord. And uh, today, of, of all days, Sundays, this is the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, you know, I don't know how uh, you and your family or church family have celebrated the Advent season, um, but it is, it is just a wonderful time of year uh, and the, to anticipate the coming of Christ. And I know it's something for some of you who've been in church a long time, and so for you, um, you know, this is something you've done before many, many times, and my hope, my prayer is that this season of Advent... Um, becomes, uh, maybe, maybe God will stir our hearts and refresh us and renew us to, to maybe experience Him maybe like never before, maybe, maybe to revive us in a sense of uh, awareness and, and, and expectation and anticipation. Let me remind you as I preached that Encountering God series some time ago, um, our preparation leads to anticipation oftentimes not just in life but in spiritual things. And we saw that over and over again. And so my encouragement as we enter this season, prepare your hearts uh, to to anticipate the Lord to do something maybe special, anew, afresh in your own life. Uh, the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is a beautiful thing, and it's something that, um, uh, and, and, and listen, I've taken that for granted many of, many of Christmases uh, in my life. Um, but I will tell you this, the, the first Christmas that I ever knew that Jesus had anything to do with Christmas was just the most glorious time of my life. I was almost 20 years old, believe it or not. And... Um, and I, I remember that being in Mobile, Alabama, and Elvin Pierce, good friend of mine, uh, was in disbelief that some 20-year-old didn't know anything about Jesus at Christmas. I mean, it's the birth of Christ, and I mean, I'm all life. I didn't know that, didn't know it had anything to do with it. Of course, that tells a little bit about me. I didn't grow up in church at all. And uh, but anyway, I mean, but I remember that, and he took me to uh, I think I don't know if it was called North Mobile at the time, but anyway, we were down there. And I remember experiencing that for the first time, and I still remember it as if it was yesterday. I can be, see it being in that sanctuary. They had all kind of animals. I mean, they blew it up out of the, you know, big, big production. Uh, but it was, it, was, it was amazing. I don't know if that's even a good word to use. The anticipation, the expectation. The, the, it's like my eyes were open for the first time in my life. I understood what this was all about. And I'm like, oh my goodness, how is that possible? And I think today, one of the struggles that we have, and I mean challenges, I think for us, even as Flint Hill, as a family, as a Christian now, 53 years old, is how do we, how do we treat something that maybe is so familiar to us uh, and not allow, not allow that familiarity with that but lead us to a road, down a road that we just take it for granted. And so sometimes you can become so familiar with something or a situation and all of a sudden we just take things for granted. So my hope is, you know, some of you have signed up, some of the ladies for the uh, Advent study with the, that's going to start this Sunday, e today, this evening. Uh, is that right, Brooke? They're coming to your house. Yeah, there you go. All right. I hope so. Ready or not, here they come. But uh, and uh, yeah, That's right. But here they come. Uh, but then also Tuesday morning at uh, uh, Pam Fallon's house. And so I'm grateful for that. I mean, those are wonderful opportunities. And, and for all of us, whether you're involved in that or not, I, I, my hope is that during this season that we... Just pause and just maybe, uh, you know, there's a little devotion I picked up the other day that said, make room for him, you know, and, uh, and just be intentional during this season of Advent. 
Uh, so anyway, so today my message is uh, really kind of taking on a theme of the Advent, kind of look at the passages of Scripture uh, in Matthew chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 1. And the title is, There's Something About That Name, The Name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. Can y'all do something for me just real quick here? Can y'all say the name of Jesus real loud for me real quick? Y'all ready? Go. Jesus. Oh, no, it wasn't good enough. Come on, help me a little bit. Go. Say it again. Ready? Go. Jesus. Thank you. I know. I know. It's a little silly, isn't it? I know. I know. I love it. The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. Woo. I tell you, to the ears that hadn't heard, it's beautiful. It's good news. It's life-changing. There really is something about that name. And... and Jesus, the name and the history of this name, Jesus is the name in the Greek, Yeshua in the Hebrew. Um, there's a rich history of this name. Uh, uh, Marvin uh, Vincent reminds us that the full name was Yehoshua. Is it now? I think it's right there. There you go on the screen. I'm probably mispronouncing it. That's okay. But if you're making notes, you can look at that. But you can see real quickly, looking at that name, Yehoshua, I mean, you can see it's a, it's, a, it's a coming together of two names, Joshua and Jeshua. And in the history of the Hebrew people, these two names, Joshua and Jeshua, were, were huge, huge in the life of the nation of Israel. So when it comes to Jesus, the name of Jesus, right, Jesus, uh, Yeshua, when we come to that, there's a rich history. Joshua, when we see that name, Hosea, Hoshea, uh, it's the act of saving. Let me just remind us that Joshua, son of Nun, the, the successor of Moses, originally uh, was named Hoshea, means saving, was altered by Moses in Numbers chapter 13 to use the full name Jehoshua, which means Jehovah our salvation. This whole purpose of this season of Advent is the anticipation of not just the birth of Jesus, but of our salvation. That there is no other name under heaven by which men, women, and boys and girls can be saved. In fact, before Jesus comes, there is no eternal salvation. In that sense, I mean, he comes and the fulfillment of his birth allows, it births a whole new season uh, of God's salvation plan, of his redemptive plan. And the name Joshua uh, is a rich history, means the God who saves in the act of saving, Joshua, just to remind us, uh, in one sense was a type of Christ in the Old Testament where he was the captain and deliverer of God's people. In a military aspect, he did that. He was his saving work that he led the people of Israel to defeat the enemies and to establish that promised land. And so in Christ, you know, what, 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 what is he leading us to, to fight against sin and temptation and the things of this world and all that? He's the leader of our faith who overcomes the world. And following Him, yes, we enter that eternal rest. I mean, that's the promise of John 3.16. That we will have everlasting life. Enter that eternal rest. So Joshua's that type of Him. So when we look back to the Old Testament, we see the rich history there. But then in Yeshua as well, the high priestly office. Just to remind us in Zechariah chapter 3. In the high priestly office, it's in Zechariah 3 that we're reminded of this. Uh, let me just read here. I'm in Zechariah chapter 3, just a little bit here. It says, Then he showed me Joshua, or Jeshua, that's his word there, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan, and the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? 
Now, Jeshua was dressed in a filthy clothes and stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, He said, I have put, taken away your sin, and I put rich garments on you. And he put a clean turban on his head. And they did that while the angel of the Lord stood by. I real clearly in the scripture in Zechariah, when it points to, it talks about Jeshua, it's a type of Christ that pointing to what Christ was going to do. In other words, uh, in this vision, he appears before God. He's accused of Satan. He's clad with filthy garments. He stands not only for himself, but representative of the whole nation and the sin and suffering of Israel. And yet in this prophecy, Satan is defeated. The Lord rebukes him and declares that he will redeem and restore his erring people. A token of those commands. And so he, 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 what does he do? He changes him. He crowns him with uh, a new robe, priestly attire. And so when we see this, that Jesus now, who is what? Our great high priest, touched with what? Our infirmities. We know this. And at all points, tempted, tried as he was, confronted by Satan in the wilderness. It was upon him that was placed our malice, the sick, the sinful, the demon-ridden. His royal robes are left behind. Remember this? He counted himself not equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself on our behalf and took the form of a servant, humbling himself and becoming obedient even unto death. He assumes our stained garments in our humanity. He who knew no sin made to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. So when we talk about the rich history of the name of the Lord Jesus, man, it is rich in the sense of the prophecy, the prophetic utterings in the Old Testament, how we see God's redemptive plan being played out. And now in Christ, in His name, Jesus, Jesus. And we see the rich history there. Uh, if you will, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, if you will. In Luke chapter 1, I want to read a couple passages here out of Luke 1 and then in Matthew as well. In Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse uh, 29. Mary was greatly troubled at the words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. And he will be great and he'll be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And turn back with me to Matthew chapter 1 as well. When Matthew's, in Matthew's gospel about the birth of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. And the angel again appears to Joseph in a dream. Uh, it says, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived as her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. There is really something about his name, Jesus, Yeshua. He is God, our Savior. And when we come to this Advent season, I mean, it is really all about him and his work in history. And if, if not for the birth of Christ, there is no cross. There is no death. There is no resurrection. So when we come to his name, the name of Jesus, he is our God who saves us from our sin. The second thing is this. When we look in this passage, going back to Luke chapter 1, he says, not only will you give him the name of Jesus, but in verse 32, it says he will be great and called son of the most high. The second thing is this, the greatness of his name, the Lord Jesus. 
Now, when we look at that, uh, some of the commentators will have reference to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. In other words, uh, Albert Barnes makes this comment. He says, his name will be great. Why? Because he, it's a reference to his uh, greatness and power, greatness and wisdom and dominion upon the earth and in heaven. Let me remind us in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, the scripture says, For a child will be born for us, and a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. His reign on the throne of David and his king, over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord's armies will accomplish this. When we think about the greatness of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, there really is no other name under heaven by which men and women, boys and girls can be saved. I mean, it, it, words fail us when we talk about the greatness of our Lord. In fact, I, I will say, we just sang just a moment ago in Matthew chapter 2. You don't have to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 2, I mean, it's not only when we talk about the greatness of his name in Matthew chapter 2, when the Magi, I mean, how did the Magi even know to come to Jerusalem? Why? Because the heavens declared his arrival. And when we talk about the greatness of the Lord Jesus, it wasn't, you know, we, I, think, I think about the birth announcements that happened. We did birth announcements, uh, you know, many moons ago with my son who's now 23. Uh, uh, and, and there's a lot put into those birth announcements and all these things that go into that. And I get it. But think about this. I mean, his greatness, how great is his? The heavens declared his birth. The star that was shown. I mean, the, the Magi see this. And in chapter 2, verse uh, 2, he says, Where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. This isn't any other child. This isn't just somebody named Jesus. I mean, he has a rich history. Heritage. There's a redemptive history. How great is his name? People, foreigners, see that he's coming. And they, they travel afar to worship him. The heavens declared his glory. The star that shone on that day pointed to his greatness and his grandeur. I mean, good night. Words were not sufficient. So the, so the heavens had to begin to declare the greatness of this king who was going to be born on this day. Make no mistake. When, when the Bible says he was great, I mean, we, we could go on and on and on about the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no one greater. No one ever will be. He is great. And greatly to be praised. Uh, not only that, but it says what? Here, going back to Luke chapter 1. Uh, he says he'll be called, he, will be, he will be great and he will be called Son of the Most High. Son of the Most High. Now here's where, uh, I mean, there is so much rich theology in what you might, we might call the birth narratives or, or, the, or the birth of Christ here in the Scriptures. Because the Bible makes it clear that this was not just some child, some great child, some messianic child that was born. And by the way, there's rich history and prophecies that are fulfilled in this moment. But make no mistake, the scripture is clear that he will be called son of the most high. In fact, Mark MacArthur makes this comment. He says the testimony of scripture is clear. He was conceived by God and born of a virgin. It's clear in scripture Joseph was not his father. He was given the privilege to, to father over this child. But make no mistake, he's called son of the Most High. 
He was conceived by God. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, now you've got to understand the gospel was written some years later. Some say up to 30 years after the resurrection and the birth of the church. God anoints and empowers through the Holy Spirit Matthew to write this gospel. And when you go back and read his narrative, this, this, this child was birthed in Mary by the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit birthed this child. And you say, how in the world is that possible? It's miraculous. It's, it's not it's beyond natural. It's supernatural. And by the way, it's not the first time God has miraculously birthed a child. Right? I, I, can hear, I remember stories of people who uh, think about Sarah, late in her age, past the child-rearing age. And yet God blessed her with a child. And you say, well, I mean, that, but it's still a miracle, is it not? I mean, gosh, some of y'all might can testify in here how you maybe were told by people you couldn't have children for whatever reason, and God just mysteriously and miraculously moved, conceivement happened, and all of a sudden now you're with child, and it's just a miracle. Whenever God does something supernatural, I know there's skeptics. There's people who say, oh, no, that couldn't have happened. I mean, I'm telling you, yes, he can. How do I know he can? Friend, listen, the Bible makes it clear that we're dead in Christ until we come alive in Christ. How do you know you're alive? Because God birthed you from above. He born you from above. Is that not a miracle? God, you can't make that happen. God just reaches down from heaven and right, saves you in that moment, changes you in that moment. That's a miracle of God. Make it clear. The testimony of Scripture, he's conceived by God, born of a virgin. Even though many people today believe it's a joke. There's lots of even theologians out here that will make uh, light of this and say it's not true and blah, blah, blah. Oh, no, no, no. Except all four Gospels make reference to this explicitly to, to the fact of what Jesus considered himself more than a man. I mean, in fact, this is what riled up the Pharisees in the first century that he said. Remember this? When the paralytic was lowered through the roof and they tore up the house and he brings him down. He says, your sins are forgiven. And they said, well, who in the world can forgive sin except God? Jesus goes, well, I'm going to show you how God I really am. Get up and walk and take out. And he leaves. Can you imagine? I wish I could have been there on that day. I mean, just to be there in that moment. Good night. I mean, it's just bewilderment, right? But make no mistake, Jesus claimed clearly that he was more than just a man. The gospel writers give us great evidence of Scripture that he is, in fact, God in the flesh. In fact, in Matthew's, Matthew's account, I mean, in Matthew chapter 1, again in that birth narrative, he said all this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. Remember Isaiah, the virgin, will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him, remember this? What are they going to call him? Emmanuel, thank you, my, which means God with us. Jesus was God united with man to show us that God was dwelling with men. In fact, MacArthur says it this way, real incarnation, in other words, God clothed himself in humanity. Real incarnation demands a real virgin birth. God, through the Holy Spirit, births this child, this Jesus, to Mary. Apart from Jesus being both human and divine, listen to this, there is no gospel. If, if he is not both God and man, there is no gospel. In other words, MacArthur would say this, the incarnation of Jesus Christ is the central fact of the Christianity. Everything depends on this. The essence and the power of the gospel is that God became man. That both holy God and holy man, he was able to what? Reconcile men to God. Jesus' virgin birth 
His substitutionary atonement, that means he took my place. His resurrection, his ascension, his return, and all these other aspects of his deity, they all stand or all fall together. If any of those teachings are, are, are rejected, the entire gospel is rejected. And this is what he would say to us today. And I mean, I'm talking to us here at Flint Hill. God came down on this day, birth of a virgin, born of the Holy Spirit of God. He is called Son of the Most High. The incarnation is critical. Not only that, but we talk about the fulfillment of His name. The fulfillment of His name. Uh, in other words, Matthew uses multiple times this phrase that it might be fulfilled. Going back to Matthew chapter 1, he says in verse 22 that all this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. Over and over again, this phrase, might be fulfilled, indicates how in Christ, in his birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, that it was all fulfillments of what we call Old Testament prophecy. In other words, when we think about the name of Jesus, there's, there, there's all this richness to it, but it's a fulfillment, the, the, the consummation of this moment in his name. Uh, and and, what, and what, are we, what are we talking about? He says it here, going back to Luke chapter 1 and verse 32. He'll be called great, called son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. David. Now, you've got to hang on here just a moment because when we talk about the fulfillment here of his name, we talk about the prophecies and the promises of what we call in the Old Testament. And there was a clear promise given to David uh, uh, way back in 2 Samuel 13. And, he, and when, when he was talking about wanting to build his house, wanting to build a sanctuary for the Lord, he makes this say, statement to him. The Lord does. He says, uh, talking about he's the one who's going to build the house for my name, talking about Solomon. And I will establish his, the throne of his kingdom forever. And he talks about I will be his father and he will be my son. And then he goes on in verse 16. He says, your house and your kingdom will endure before me forever. And your throne will be established Forever. That's the promise the Lord makes to, to David. And he also makes this promise as well to, to Solomon. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 16, he says, Therefore, in his prayer, he said, Lord of God of Israel, keep what you promised to your servant, my father David. In other words, he's praying. He says, Lord, I remember the promise my daddy told me about this promise that you made to him. So even in his prayer, he's saying, keep this promise, Lord, that you will never fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel. And then he asks him, he says, please confirm what you promised to my servant David. The promise is real. And in Christ Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in this birth of Jesus, there's a promise fulfilled. The prophecy is fulfilled. He says he will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. Now, I do want you to turn back with me to Matthew chapter 1, just real quickly here. Matthew chapter 1. Because I don't, I don't know how many times we preach on the genealogy of Jesus or the, 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 the lineage of Jesus Christ. But in Matthew chapter 1, I mean, it's intentional. Again, the Holy Spirit of God's leading Matthew. And, and, uh, and he leads him in the very beginning. Here it is, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David the son of Abraham. I mean, it is real clear that in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and all that follows is the fulfillment of the promise. Go all the way back, back to Abraham when he made a promise to Abraham to bless 
many through him, that his seed would be a blessing. And, and, and as a result of that, David becomes part of that seed, that lineage. And here in the first century, the Messiah was going to come through the lineage of David. Matthew goes to great lengths to give a record, a historical record of the lineage of Jesus the Christ. Right? God made Abraham the father of his chosen people, to whom the Messiah would arise, and he made David the father of the royal line, the bloodline from whom the Messiah would descend. So as a result of this, of the fulfillment of this lineage, Jesus is the son of David by royal descent and the son of Abraham by racial descent. He comes from that line. This is significant for the nation of Israel, for the fulfillment of these promises in this moment. That the Messiah would come from them. By the way, this is the only historical record that anyone can claim to the record of genealogy of the Messiah. There's no other record. In fact, in A.D. 70, all the records were destroyed when the Romans came in and destroyed the temple in the fire. So this is the only record. Holy Spirit of God calls Matthew to, to give this genealogy, right? I mean, it really is. It, it points back to the Abraham. The promise here comes through David and his line, and now it comes through Christ, Jesus, who is born. And all this is to, is to tell us this, why the significance of this moment the promise, the fulfillment of what's happening in His name is significant. Good night. When you read the Bible, um, it's all about God's redemption in, 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 in history. You know, I've, had, I've heard people say it, I mean, many times, a little cliche. It's His story. History, that's what it is. And I mean, when you read the Scriptures, it's all about God's story, about His story of how He is saving humanity, literally, from their own sins. And, and what we have here in this record is a clear storyline of God's redemptive plan. And when, so when Christ is born, the birth of Jesus, the Christ, y'all know Christ is not his last name. Y'all know that. That's his title. It means anointed one, the Messiah. But when he is born on this moment, when all the dots connect and the fulfillment, when the heavens declares glory, I mean, this is significant in time. I mean, now, now, I mean, you got to understand, people were waiting for a long time. In fact, I can just imagine some people had given up hope and had quit thinking about it. Although it seems in the first century there was the rise of the resurgence that the Messiah would come soon. Maybe because of all the per persecution to the Jews during the time and the Roman tyranny and the Herod and all this stuff going on, they, they wanted a deliverer. They wanted a, a Joshua to rise up and to be a military champion for them and overthrow Rome and the Herod and restore Israel. And God births Jesus at this time. And yes, there are some that are anticipating. But can I say to you, the tragedy of the first century birth of Christ is that most of the people that ought to have anticipated him didn't even know he was born. It's like it went under the radar. I don't know if you think about this or not, but God sends people from hundreds of miles away to come worship Jesus. And they're not Jewish descent at all. They're pagans. They're Gentiles. They're people that have nothing to do with the history and the heritage of Israel. Yet they come. You remember when they walked up in there and Herod said, hey, we're, hey we saw a star. We're, we want to worship the king of the Jews. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He pulls all his people together and says, where, where, where is that going to be born? I mean, they, they, were, they weren't even prepared for him to be born. 
Make no mistake, when he's born, there's, there's a lot happening here in the fulfillment of his name, in, in, in the promise that was made, in the lineage of his name of that's being brought forth. The, the royal descent, the, the descent from Abraham, the Messiah has now come and been born. This is critical for the redemption of, of not just Israel, but for all humanity. And it's such an incredible moment. Not only not only to see the fulfillment, but I want us to look at the power of His name. The power of His name. Going back to Luke chapter 1. Because it says He'll be called the Great and be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give Him the throne of His father David and His reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Exclamation point. It's forever. It's eternal. Kings have come and gone over the years. Nations have risen up and have gone away. There really is no nation under heaven that uh, has the assurance that they're going to last forever. There's only one kingdom that will last forever, and that's the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The Bible, the prophecy says it will go on and on and on. Jesus made that statement as well. He says, I am the only way to the Father. If you don't come through me, you have no inheritance there. You will not share in that glory or that assurance of not only forgiveness, but eternity. There's only one way to enter into this kingdom, and it's through the door of Christ Jesus. And thanks be to God, he's, he's born, yes, but he lived his life so that we might come into this kingdom. But make no mistake, there's power in his name. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. It refers, this word, this term, refers to the expected prince of the chosen people of God who is to complete God's purposes for them, to redeem them, of who's the coming of the prophets of the Old Testament, all uh, they spoke of. The Messiah, the anointed one, the consecrated king who has come. He is the king. We are servants in his kingdom. You know, when we come to his faith in Christ, it's all about his name and his purposes and his plan and his working in the world today. It's his kingdom, his reigning, ruling power and influence in the lives of me and you, those that follow him. He's the ruler. He's the king. And, and the king is the one that gives us our purpose and our direction. There's power in his name. I can't help but to think of Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, when Paul wrote, probably out of a prison cell, most likely. And he says, For this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is something about this name. It is a powerful name. The name of Jesus. I know we say this in our prayers. In the name of Jesus. And, my, and rightly so. Ask in His name. There's power in His name. There's new life in His name. You know, uh, I don't know how many of you have ever listened to Bill and Gloria Gaither. I don't know. I don't know why this song came up in my heart this week. Y'all know that song, There's Something? About his name. You know what I'm talking about. You know, they, they, there's, there's a story about when it was written in their life. I think it was back in 1970. And out of the, out of the difficulties and the challenges they were facing. Um, 
as a young couple, actually, God began to stir up in their heart this song. There's something about His name. That name. And it goes a little bit like this. It says, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus. Like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Let all heaven and earth proclaim. Why? Because kings and kingdoms will pass away. But there's something, something about that name. Let me say it again. Kings and kingdoms, nations will pass away. But there's something about that name. The name of Jesus. I just want to shout His name. I know we did that at the beginning. I'm not going to ask you to do it again. There really is. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation yet in your life when you didn't have anything but to cling to the name of Jesus and to call upon His name. To ask Him to do what only He can do and to hold on to Him. When I share with you on this opening of this Advent series, this season of Advent, I want to say to all of us, there really is something about His name. His powerful, wonderful, fulfilling name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a rich heritage and history. But friend, I don't want to just talk about the history in the old days, but I'm talking about today, right now, right here, in the hearts of me and you. Right here. Doesn't matter what we've been doing, I don't... What are we going to do now? Right now, in this moment, in this day, in this season of Advent, will we make room for Him? Will we intentionally and purposely lift high the holy name of Jesus Christ as a family, as personally, as a church? Because I can assure you this, there's a whole lot of people, a whole lot of people, that don't know about the wonderful, powerful name of Jesus. Daphne, if you'll come up here for me, if you will, at this time. I'm going to invite us to have a time of response this morning. And as our worship team comes to lead us in a song, I just want to pray for us. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, I, I say that. It comes out of my mouth. And I, and I just want to say thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that in the fullness of what that means right now, the salvation of what that means right now, that in the name of Jesus, we have victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave. And we have the assurance of forgiveness and everlasting life because your kingdom, your kingdom will never end. Never end. So, Father, right now, I, I pray for us as a family, as a faith family, God, that you would stir our hearts to worship. God, maybe right now, even so this morning, just remind us, Lord, of how incredible your name really is. We ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'll stand with me this morning, church. I want to invite you to respond as they lead us in this song.